Well, good morning, High Point. Well, good to see you today. It's always good to be with you on Sunday morning. Thank you for those who've joined us here in person, and thank you for those who are watching us online. And I'm looking at right now. Yep, looking at you. I don't know who you are, but thank you for, for watching us. You know, when I was a kid, we used to sing a song in Sunday school. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All right. I had no idea that was gonna take a life on its own like it just did. I just, you guys are great. Roll with me. You rolled and it was wonderful. Thank you. Obviously, the message of that song is the concept of you and I shining brightly and being a beacon of light for Jesus. A beacon is defined as a fire or light set up on a high or prominent position as a warning signal or celebration. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. My introduction this morning is intentionally basic and straightforward and uncomplicated because sadly I'm seeing too many people in our world today who are drowning in darkness. It is just a reality, folks, and I feel a tremendous responsibility to remind you, my church family, that it is our reasonable Christian duty to shine brightly for Jesus. And so as we ponder that thought this morning, are you shining brightly? Is your faith real enough to shine and is the light that you shine effective? Would anyone who observed you this past week say that you did something that really influenced their life for good or for God? You know, when I think about people in our current culture who do shine brightly for Jesus, I'm always reminded of the former Heisman Trophy winner, Tim Tebow. Interestingly enough, Tebow didn't have any success, much success in professional sports like he did in college, so he turned his knowledge of the game and his notoriety to both sports broadcasting and other things, but also ministry. And I happen to love and appreciate Tim Tebow because there is no denying that this young man is a beacon of light for Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where he's at or what he's doing, he's testifying to the goodness of God. I wanna to read to you some words from one NBC sports commentator. He said, every single person in the world would be a better human being if they just spent 15 minutes with Tim Tebow. Wait, let me rephrase that, it was absurd. They would need to just spend one minute with him and it would change all of their lives for the better. This Christian man, this follower of Jesus Christ, is such a beacon of life, light that all you have to do is spend a minute with him and your life is going to change. I think that should be a goal for every single one of us. Our attitude should be, spend a few minutes with me and your life is gonna change because I am a beacon of light for the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that I'm bringing all of this up this morning is because as we continue in our series, The Blessing of Obedience, where we have been looking at the life of Abraham and what God called him to do, I have come to the conclusion that a blessed life is a shining life. And that's really what I wanna to talk to you about this morning. You see, if you ever read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see how Abraham stands out 
among the other patriarchs as the father of our faith. And his story is a great one and one from which many sermons have been preached very much like, like today. But as you read his whole story, you clearly see that there was some real faithlessness before there was faithfulness. There were failures in his faith and b- before he was actually fortified in his faith. Uh, and, and yet God still chose him to raise him up to be the father of our faith. And so today, I want to look at an episode in Abraham's life where he was being faithless, fearful, and fruitless. In other words, his light wasn't shining very brightly at all. And my hope is that it will inspire all of us not to make the same mistakes so that we can truly live the blessed life that God desires for us. And as I said, I believe a blessed life, one of the elements is that you are a bright light for Jesus Christ. So today, I wanna make three observations about Abraham's story. And here's number one. A blessed life obeys the word of God even when it doesn't make sense. Abraham had surrendered his life to God, but initially he didn't always follow God's plan and God's purpose that we talked about last week. I wanna read to you once again what is called the the call of Abraham, and, and I do this only to remind you of what God asked of Abraham as well as the promises that he made to Abraham should he be obedient to his call. So if you go to Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, and again, Abram was his name. God changes his name to Abraham later in the story. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So where is God leading Abraham? Well, last week I showed you how Abraham went some distance to a place called Haran, but he stopped there. He didn't just stop for a short time. He stayed there for about 20 years before he was fully obedient to what God called him to do. Eventually, if you read a little bit later on, you'll find that God leads him on a journey to the border of the land of Canaan, which is where God wanted him to go. And God says to him, he says, Abraham, this is where I want you to be. Do you you see all this land before you? This is yours. Well, that's awesome and all, but there's one small problem. Because in Genesis 12.10, it says this. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abraham finds himself in a situation where the word of God doesn't make sense to him. Because there's a famine going on right at the place where God is telling him to go, while Egypt isn't that far away. So he's at this proverbial fork in the road where his faith is being tested greatly. Now, one thing that I have learned in my life is that whenever your faith is being tested, the most important thing for you to do is to go back and ask yourself, what exactly did the Lord say? There are people here today who are not living the blessed life for the simple reason that you're not listening to the voice of God or you're not listening to the word of God. Instead, you are listening to your feelings. You are listening to your friends. Oh boy, that'll get you in big trouble. They got all kinds of opinions and answers, none of which are right. And many of you are looking at your circumstances and you can't see how you can get from point A to point B because of the circumstances that are going on in your life. Abraham is doing the very same thing here. He's thinking to himself, there's a famine in the land and you can't really tell me that that's what God's plan is for me to go to that place. I always imagined that that God's plan for me would be swimming pools and and palm trees and fruity drinks and someone rubbing my, my feet. That's God's will, that's gotta be God's will. 
I mean, this place he wants to send me is dry and it's parched and, and it's difficult. So this really can't be God's plan. He promised me blessing. So let me share a little something with you this morning. Your faith is not going to be tested in the best of circumstances. It will be tested when the odds are stacked against you and there's a good number of people in this room that need to have your faith tested. Your faith will never be tested if you don't listen to God and you never move where God's telling you to move. And so we find ourselves in this comfortable little cocoon of life. It's warm and it's fuzzy and it's soft in there and I'm so comfortable and I don't want to break out of it. Why would I want to break out of it? It's necessary that we tune in to the Lord. So Abraham has to remind himself of what God said. Lord, what is it you said to me? Oh, you wanted me to go to the land of Canaan and not Egypt. But what often happens is when we do go back to God and, 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 and we remind ourselves of, of what it is that God said, we still do our own thing. And that's exactly what Abraham does here because the second half of Genesis 12, 10, it says this, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. So he chooses to go to Egypt instead. Now I want you to understand something very important this morning. Anytime you depart from the direction that God is sending you, you are setting yourself up for some trouble. You're setting yourself up for some unintended uh, circumstances or issues. And so that's exactly what, what Abraham does. Instead, he goes down to Egypt to live there for a while because as it said about 19 times, there was a great famine in the land. And through his actions, what, what he is saying is, God, I know you told me to go to Canaan, but because of what's going on there, you must not really know what you're doing. In fact, he's wondering if it was God at all. Why? Because he thinks everything is, will be stacked against him there. He's thinking God would never ask me to go into a situation like that, would he? And I think we all think that way. God doesn't want me to, to experience any difficulties. God doesn't want my faith to be tested. Do you think so? Let me give you some perspective on that. Think about this for a moment. He was a nine foot giant covered in armor. He was a one man killing machine, the pride of the Philistine army. And every day this Philistine soldier would, would, who would make Shaquille O'Neal look like a Preakness jockey, he, he shows up on the battlefield and he mocks the God of Israel. He'd yell out, give me a man to fight. And every day, the Israelite soldiers, they would, they would say while cowering in fear, oh, there he goes again. They were all paralyzed by their fear. It was like a standoff that, that no one had the courage to bring to an end. So who does God pick to take him out? A young shepherd boy who was out in the field tending to his father's flock of sheep. Can you imagine what the odds would be on the betting boards in Las Vegas of that fight between that shepherd boy David and this giant of a man? The odds were stacked against David in every conceivable way. It didn't make any sense. But because David was committed to obeying the word of God, even when it didn't make sense, the result was that God allowed him to experience something extraordinary. So David arrives one day on the battlefield, bringing some Subway sandwiches to his brothers who were there, and he hears this man mocking the God of Israel. And the next thing we see is this boy stepping up over the embankment, running full speed towards this giant with nothing but a slingshot in his hand. Why? Because he had become accustomed to obeying the word of God. You see, once we begin to step out in God's dimension, it is only then when, when we begin to see the hand of God's blessing truly on our life. God will do illogical and impossible exploits in your life, and that happens 
and when that happens, you will never want to just see the ordinary again. Once you begin to take risks in your faith and your relationship with God, and you see how God comes through for you time and time again, you will become addicted to obeying the word of God. Even when the word of God doesn't necessarily still make complete and total sense to you. This shepherd boy was in the habit of trusting God. He was in the habit of obeying God. And as a shepherd watching over his father's flock, he had killed a lion before. He had killed a bear before, the scriptures tell us that. So he's thinking to himself, how tough can this giant really be? So he squares off with Goliath and and everyone was saying it's impossible. The slingshot and the stones are just not enough. And David's thinking, this guy is so big, how can I miss him? Kind of interesting perspective, a little different perspective when you have the power of God behind you, right? And we don't know exactly what happened that day or how it happened or what the timeline was, but I do know something miraculous happened in the spiritual realm. And that little shepherd boy stood there and he put a single stone in that sling and he began to spin this thing around. And I can imagine God saying, David, I've been waiting for someone like you to obey my word. And now that you have stepped forward, we are gonna have some fun, son. You're pretty good with that slingshot, but you're not as good as I am with it. Let's put a little bit of supernatural velocity on that. And I imagine the thing was going God found someone who was willing to obey the word of God, even when it didn't make sense. And through it all, that that simple slingshot became a weapon of mass destruction. The same God who spoke creation into existence without lifting a finger merely spoke, but now he's got a slingshot. And it's always been a wonder to me why that stone didn't go through Goliath's skull and out into outer space and become a comet at the velocity that thing must have been going. God had put his hand upon that situation and supernaturally that giant dropped like a ton of bricks and a holy hush fell over that Philistine army who were laughing and were mocking, who just moments earlier were talking about how the champion was going to feed his body to the birds when it all came to a crashing halt, when David held up the severed head of that giant and everyone was thinking that was unbelievable. Here's the point. Sometimes the voice of God and where he is leading you may seem illogical. Sometimes there may be, may be times when the word of God will not make sense to you in your current situation. Maybe like me, you are a duck in the row kind, ducks in a row kind of a person. You think logically, and I might add, you overthink logically about everything. You like to think you have this good sound level head on your shoulders, and God may be calling you to a new place, a, a, a new place in your Christian journey, or to do something great for his kingdom, and you say to yourself, well, that just doesn't make any sense. I don't know why God's word is telling me to do that. But God says, that's my word. And I am teaching you, trying to teach you, to rely upon my word so that you'll begin to start living life by walking by faith and not by sight. And if you start looking at things by sight, it's through your spiritual eyesight and not your physical eyesight. Just God is saying, just partner with me in this life, and I will give you opportunities to obey my word. Even though common sense and and circumstances, and yes, even your feelings say otherwise, or say something different. You see, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot be led by our feelings. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. I'm doing a lot of singing this morning, isn't that great? God, do you have any openings on the worship team? I'll do a tryout. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things 
and desperately wicked. I like this. Who can know it? Listen, I can't know my heart, and you can't either. The human heart is fickle. The human heart tells you all kinds of things and will even manufacture all kinds of possible scenarios that are playing out in your mind like a video screen, none of which are good. They're always negative, aren't they? They're always for failure and never for victory, right? That's what goes on and that's what your feelings will do for you. But the question that we must always come back to is, what does the word of God say? And again, as my first point, the blessed life obeys the word of God even when it doesn't make sense. And when we do this, when we obey the word of God, we stand out like a beacon of light. Because when we are living for God's glory, we experience a blessed life, amen? Okay, let's get back to Abraham. Genesis 12, verses 11 through 16. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well for me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful, The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Here's my second point or observation of this part of Abraham's life. The blessed life knows obedience to God isn't optional. It's not optional. If you want to live life the hard way, then anytime you hear a promise from God's word, don't take him at his word. Instead, just test him to try to prove that his word is wrong. And sadly, you will live life the hard way. And while you're living life the hard way, God will be proven true and you will be proven false. Let me do my best to explain to you what I'm talking about. If you'll read this entire story of Abraham, you'll see that this is not the only time he asked Sarai to present herself as his sister. He does it another time in Genesis chapter 20, and it's not pretty at all. Neither of those moments were times when Abraham was shining brightly. He compromised. He he, he took obedience to God as being an option. You know, in the, in the word of God, there are some, some great scriptures. I, I call them poster plaque scriptures that are found in the Bible. They are scriptures that we love, that we quote, and, uh, and, and, and we, we live by them. And sometimes they're on plaques on the walls of our home and in our offices. Here are a few that are quite popular. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. But on the other end of the spectrum are promises in God's word that we would never want to put on a poster plaque and hang up into our house. Can I give you a couple examples of those? Mark eleven twenty six. 26, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. And he wraps it all up by saying this, but if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Did you know that was in the Bible? Okay, a lot of people don't. You have to forgive to be forgiven. How would you like to have that on a plaque in your living room wall? Welcome to our home. Read this plaque on our living room wall that says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. Here's another one. Again, Jesus is speaking here. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that last day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wouldn't that make a beautiful plaque over your fireplace? Depart from me, you lawbreaker. I never knew you. Some of you parents need to put that plaque in your child's bedroom. Depart from you, lawbreaker. Clean your room. Here's my point. We all love the promises that bless us. And we want to experience all of those promises and all of those blessings. But church, those other promises are equally as true. And yes, sometimes we don't pay attention to those other promises. We say obedience is optional for me. The attitude is there are certain things that I have to do because God really wants me to, but there's a whole lot of things I just don't want to do. So I'm not gonna do that because God must just be, must be joking. <laughs> but then when we find out we're doing life the hard way, the joke is on you. Because you didn't take God at his word. This reminds me of the story of Jonah. Listen to Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How far do you have to run to get away from the presence of God? Well, Jonah tried his, his level best. He really did. He ran from God. He hopped on a ship towards Tarshish, and he was thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish. Look at what happens. Jonah 2, 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol, by the way, is the Hebrew equivalent of hell. Life has gotten so bad for Jonah that he assumes he left the belly of the fish and he has now gone on to eternity in hell, the pits of Sheol. Jonah 2, 3 through 6, he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. What, what's, what's Jonah really saying? He's saying here, I had the worst experience of my life. When did he have the worst experience of his life? When he was outside of God's will. I've told you before that when I was an associate pastor at Phoenix First Assembly, that one of my jobs was leading the young marriage ministry there. Lisa and I did uh, shared responsibilities in that. And I cannot tell you how sad it is when you sit down with a Christian man or a Christian woman and hear them say these words, I am not in love with my spouse anymore and I'm going to leave them. And then they follow it up by saying, now I know what the word of God says about this, but I have options. And I've said, you know, if you view obedience to God as optional, then you are assigning yourself, my friend, to a hard way of life. You see it over and over again, people living life in the hardest of ways because they simply were not obedient. And I know, and I'm sure that old Jonah probably enjoyed using his position as a prophet of God when he walked around and said, I'm a prophet of God and I'll tell you exactly what God says and he would, he would give a word to somebody. But now God is asking him to do something that he doesn't wanna do. So he says, he says, God, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I, I don't want to talk to any of those Ninevites. I don't like the Ninevites. They, they don't even rank as human beings to me. No, this is not going to happen. 
And God is saying, uh, excuse me, Mr. Jonah, prophet of God, you're not off today. You're on call. This is your job. This is your duty. And Jonah, let me remind you that you do have an option, and it's on how your book is going to read one day. You see, Jonah doesn't know that there's going to be a book written about him. And people are going to read that book for centuries. And everyone's going to see how God told him, arise and go to Nineveh and preach the word of truth to them. But in his disobedience, he's saying, there's seaweed wrapped around my head and I think I'm in hell. And we all kind of chuckle at that situation. But right now, I bet old Jonah's looking down from heaven and he's screaming, Pastor David, please move on to the fourth chapter. It doesn't end all that great, but it's a whole lot better than chapter two. Or read to them verse one in chapter three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. That's the one old Jonah wants us to read instead. It's fascinating to me how we can look at Jonah's story and think to ourselves, oh, Jonah, you, you really had to get swallowed up by a fish before you finally decided to obey God? I guess that's normal for people to disobey God the first time. But of course, everybody would respond the second time, right? And yet for some of us, it's the third, fourth, fifth, 19th, 132nd time. And many people are still not obeying God and they're living in a world that feels like hell to them. Why? Because they view obedience to God as an option. And anytime you view obedience as an option, you are going to live life the hard way. That is a simple fact, ladies and gentlemen. But then what happens is people then have the nerve to call out God for their hard life. Man, God must have something against me. I can't believe all this bad stuff that's going on in my life. And you're thinking, you're kidding, right? You haven't honored God in, in any aspect of your life that I've ever been able to see. You've done things your own way. You've never, ever considered what God would want you to do. And now you have the audacity to imply that God is treating you poorly. Let me tell you something, fella. It's not God, it's you. And it is a result of the many conscious decisions that you have made, none of, uh, none of which ever took God into consideration or considered what Jesus would have you do in that situation. So I am sorry that you are in that place today, but you must understand it is due to your optional and sometimes non-existent obedience. And no one wants to hear that but it's a reality. So I wanna review. Number one, the blessed life obeys the word of God even when it doesn't make sense. Number two, the blessed life knows obedience to God isn't optional. And my third point, and my Bible college professors are gonna love this because they love three-point sermons in Bible college. Number three, the blessed life understands that compromise has consequences. Let's go back to Abraham and our story for this final point in Genesis 12, verses 17 through 20. Keep in mind, he's gone to Egypt. Pharaoh has taken his wife, Sarah, and given Abraham all these gifts, parting gifts. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. See, there will always be consequences anytime we compromise our faith. And, and what's the big co consequence in this story? I mean, after all, Pastor David Abraham got all this stuff given to him from Pharaoh. Well, he may have got his wife back and a bunch of stuff, 
But what about his reputation? What about his witness to the world? What about him being a beacon of light? After all, that's what we're talking about this morning, right? Here we have an unbelieving Pharaoh who has been afflicted with physical punishment by God. And he says, Abraham, why in the world would you do this to me? I'm feeling the heat of God's judgment and you did this to me. This is wrong. I can't believe you as a believer would be such a liar. I thought people like you told the truth. What were you thinking with this whole sister story, Abraham? And as I've been studying this, and it's funny, Lisa and I are are going through the Bible this year, um, and every night we're reading from the Old Testament, a Psalm, and the New Testament. We're, We're right all over this story. We were just talking about this the other night, but what I can't get, I can't get this image out of my mind about this story. Here's Abraham's wife, Sarai, and Pharaoh, and she's looking out his bedroom window down at her husband, Abraham's out in the field with all the sheep and cattle and camels and gifts and all of his male and female servants that are all around him. And he's looking up to his wife in the window with Pharaoh. And Abraham has a look on his face as if to say, I'm sorry, honey, but look at all this stuff we got. And Sarah could have, Sarah could have said, you're supposed to be a man of faith. It's going to be written in Hebrews 11 one day. Don't you get it, Abraham? This is a colossal failure. Pastor David is going to preach about this one day, and you're going to be deeply embarrassed hanging out with all of this stuff while I'm up here in Pharaoh's bedroom. You are losing it, man of faith. And I got to tell you, when you look at this story, you almost got to view Sarai as a saint. In fact, First uh, Peter 3, it really shows what a saint she is because it says Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him master. Another translation says, and called him her Lord. And yet, she was deeply affected by Abraham's faithlessness. She was the one who paid the price. Can I remind you that we are all a family here? And anytime my faith is tested, your faith is tested. We don't get our faith faith tested alone. The truth, the true ministry of the church family is that we are tested together. Can I also remind you that your family at home is tested together and the decisions that you make deeply affect your children and your spouse. And they all have an understanding of your witness to this world in relationship to the promises of God. They understand whether or not they are promises that you keep or that you stand upon even when times are tough. So really, in this episode, Abraham loses his witness. He was being faithful, faithless, excuse me, when he was supposed to be faithful. He was being fearful in his disobedience. And he was fruitless because he really didn't trust God enough to see him through that famine. And what kind of taste do you think this left in Pharaoh's mouth for the one true God? And how does it affect people in our world who are lost and dying when they see Christ followers who are faithless and fearful and fruitless in their daily life? You see, we are called to shine like a beacon of light for Jesus. Well, you're depressing me this morning, Pastor David. I don't think I am. In fact, let me tell you why this isn't depressing. I never try to put a yoke of burden or, or, or worry or, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. Somebody can think of it, let me know, and you can share it with me. Because there's something very encouraging that I wanna share with you from the scriptures which will make this that I'm talking about not depressing to you. I wanna leave you with a promise found in Philippians chapter one, verses six. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
You see, God created us knowing full well the roller coaster rides of life, the ups and downs that we experience, the trials and the sin. He knows all those things about us. And yet I know that he has made a promise to all of us. And I am very confident of this, that he who began a work in me and in you is going to keep us moving forward. Now this may not inspire you, so let me show you how this applies to God's problem, promise Excuse me, in Abraham's life. Abraham is supposed to be the father of the faith. But in the few verses that we read today, we see him fail in his faith and we see him being fearful in his faith. I'm afraid I can't go to Canaan because there's a famine. So I'm going to go to Egypt instead. I can't tell Pharaoh the truth because he's so powerful that he will kill me and he will take my wife. So I will just lie and tell him that she's my sister. But here's the question. Do you think that this changed the plan of God for Abraham's life? No. God says, here's what we're gonna do, Abe. We're gonna keep, I'm gonna keep working on you. And I know what's going to happen in Genesis chapter 20. I know you're gonna mess up royally again. In fact, there will be other mess ups along the way, but here's the deal. I have called you. And furthermore, this is not something that you will do in your own strength. It will, be, it'll be a, it will not be accomplished through your own abilities. It will be accomplished through my power within you. And if you will just, Abraham, if you will just yield to my spirit, I will take your life and I will move you from where you are today to a better place, to the promised land that is flowing with milk and honey and you will be exactly where I declared you would be. And that is God's promise for your life here in High Point Assembly in Red Bluff, California in 2024. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will be faithful to keep moving you forward. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Scott, would you come forward, worship team? I'd like to ask you all to stand to your feet if you would. I've come to tell you this morning to yield your life to the Spirit because God is able. Listen well to the things that he is calling you to do and always remember what is impossible with man is always possible with God. I'm not sure what this message means to you personally and individually today, but I do know that there are people in this building who needed to hear this message this morning. This might apply to your walk and your journey with Christ. Maybe you are experiencing some doubts and some fears and you're you're hanging on by a thread and maybe you're even considering giving up. Maybe God is calling you into some kind of uncharted territory and you're scared and your faith is becoming faithless. Whatever you are dealing with today, I want you to understand when you are obedient, even when things are scary, even when things don't make complete and total sense to you, just to hold on to God's promise because he will see you through this. He will take you to spiritual heights that you have never ever experienced before and in your obedience, you will naturally shine like a beacon for Jesus because you put your trust in the right place. And when you do that, folks, you can never go wrong. So where are you today with regard to shining brightly? Are you committed to being obedient to the word of God, even when it doesn't make sense? Do you consider obedience to the word of God and to to God as being optional? Are you experiencing consequences from compromise in your life? Is God calling you back this morning to a commitment, even reminding you that he is not yet finished with you? God wants to complete the project he has started within every one of us. He wants to, 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 to 
finish the work he has started. And for some of you, that has been a long time ago for you. And with some of you, he is just starting. You've just found Jesus and he's starting to call you to new destinations and new places. But in either case, it's so simple for us to say, not not right now. Not, not, Not good timing for me, God. I got too much going on, man. I got stuff in the frying pan. It's gonna pay off big. I don't have time to do this. I'm focused on this. I'm focused on that. We go our own way and then we get into troubles. And then we wonder why God is not good God. When he had a, a neon sign out there telling you which way to go. And you're going like this. I wanna pray for you this morning. But before I pray, I've asked the worship team to sing another old song. And don't worry, I won't sing it this time. It's called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I love the words of this song. I want you to listen to the words of the song. Really, all this boils down to is trusting God. If you can't trust God, I don't know what to tell you. I don't. You know, maybe you've had some bad things happen in your life and, 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 you, and you want to attribute those to God. I want to remind you that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, our Heavenly Father. We live in a sinful world. Things happen because of sin. God did not orchestrate it for it to happen. It happened because of sinful decisions that we have made and other people have made. I just want you to know that I trust God fully because I've seen far too many times him come through in ways that I could have never fathomed or believed. And as I've often told you, it's never been done in a way or in the time frame that I wanted it. But as I sit back on it and look, I go, God, you're amazing. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. And what I just want to say to you is whatever he's called you to do, do it. It would be be amazing if, if... somehow we could not do it and have a videotape of five years after that and then do it and have a videotape and compare the two of them and see what a difference your life would become by just being faithful to God. And I know the reason we're not is because we're afraid. Sometimes it's we don't want to be perceived as a Jesus freak. And I just, you got to get over that one too, folks. You got to get over that one. If you love the Lord, would someone say so? Yeah, I love Jesus, and I'm doing what the Lord told me to do. I'm doing what the Word of God tells me to do. That's the way we need to live our life. we got to quit worrying about what people think. we got to quit worrying about what popular culture says, because in case you haven't noticed, they've turned the world completely upside down. What is wrong is now right. What was right is now wrong. It makes absolutely no sense. My head spins every day. I can't even watch the news anymore. I don't. It's insanity. You need Jesus. And you not only need Jesus, but you need to do what he tells you to do because we're living in the end times and God has something special for you to do. And I am telling you that in those times when you step out in faith and you have trust in God and you see the end result of God being faithful to the promise he made to you, it is humbling and it is exciting and it solidifies something inside of you that makes you trust him for greater things. Some of you need to trust God in something very, very small or what others would perceive as small, but for you it's huge because you've never trusted him. Some of you need to trust God for something really big. It's big to you because you've never experienced it yet. Wherever you're at this morning, trust in God. Scott, will you go ahead and sing that song and we'll get right back to you. Precious Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many examples that clearly show us that whenever we obey you, you do great things. And why we wouldn't want to live life that way, Lord, is a mystery to me, and yet some of us do. We're afraid. We we don't want to break out of where we're at when you have so much greater in store for us. So, Father, I just pray this morning that you would open the minds, the hearts, the eyes, the spirits of the men and women of this church 
that you would show us that we are just scratching the surface on our relationship with you, that you have so many greater things in store for us if we would just be obedient, if we would just follow your word, if we would not compromise, but we would stay true to the calling that you placed upon our life. God, I pray that you would open our eyes perhaps to things that you've called us to a long time ago that we have since buried. Bring it to us afresh and new. Bring it to our attention once again. And I pray that you would give us the courage to respond this time and to say, I don't get it. It may not make sense at this stage in my life, but God, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And you will be with me and your power and presence will be with me and it will be done in Jesus' name. So God, I pray that you would use each one of us to do greater things for your kingdom. The time is short. You've called us to be beacons of bright lights in our, in our community, and I pray that we would shine like bright lights because we are in your will and doing those things you call us to do. So I pray that you will use us today and the days to come. As we go our separate ways today, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would go with us guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be ones that would build people up and not tear them down. That we would indeed shine like bright lights in this dark world so much that people would come up and ask us, what is it about you that is different? You're different than everyone else. And you'll open that door and we'll be able to share your goodness with them and what you have done in our life. And I pray, Lord, that you would give each one of us a divine encounter this week that someone would cross our path and the door would open up for us to just love them, tell them about Jesus, invite them to church. That's a beginning. That's a start of stepping out and being faithful to your word. So I ask that you would use us. And until we gather together and meet again as a church family, Father, I pray that you would keep us safe from accidents that might befall us. You would keep our bodies safe from any diseases or sickness that might fall upon us. We ask as we go our separate ways today that we go in love and we show the world what a life lived for Christ is all about. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.